I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now, many, many years ago, there was a war. It was called the Great War, World War I. From this war stems two things that are still commonplace to this day. The phrase, shooting yourself in the foot, and Uncle Sam pointing, saying, I want you. Sadly, both of these things have something in common with Celtic's performance last night in their 1-1 draw with FC Michelin in the Champions League. Welcome along to the Hull Breakdown. We are the podcast that look at the stats, the performance and analytics of Celtic Football Club. I'm joined on the line, as always, by Alan Morrison, a.k.a. Celtic Bank Numbers. Alan, hello. Hello. And I'm on, joined on the line as well by Juco James, a.k.a. Juco James. James, how are you? <laughs> hey, guys. Good. So, appointing a red card, a 1-1 draw in the Champions League to FC Michelin. Let's start with that red card, the near beat on sending off. He was already booked. He got a second yellow card for putting his face in or putting his hands in the face of one of the FC Michelin forwards after he dived in the penalty area. James, I'll let you have the first word on this. What was he thinking? Or are you even surprised that this was near beat on? Not, not terribly surprised. Uh, the, I mean, I, I think that the, first of all, I, I still have questions as to the details, meaning that uh, people have been talking about how the, um, the ref yellow carded um, the Michelin player for the dive. I'm, has that, I'm not sure that's been clarified, meaning that the Michelin player physically bumped into Beton, which kind of precipitated the finger into the head, right? So you kind of give the, the Michelin guy a little bit of uh, credit, so to speak, for um, you know being, being a bit of a, a provocateur that really drew that out of Beton, I would say. Um, cause up until he kind of shoves into him, I don't think Beton was going to lose it. And I think that's what really precipitated the losing it. So I, you know, it was a clear dive. I thought, I mean, the guy went down, we saw uh, subsequent to that when he was sent off. I mean, the guy seems to be pretty adept at that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's inexcusable. I mean, it's just, it, it, it and, and I, to, to me that I, I can understand it. I mean, in that in the heat of the moment, it's not excusable, but I can understand given the fact that it got physical. Um, his first yellow is the one that I think is kind of vintage beaton, which is, you know, positionally bad against a better opponent. We've talked about this over and over. Um, 
and he ends up having to drag a guy down because he's overly aggressive and in a bad position in a bad spot. So um, it's kind of the compounding of the two. I, I think the first one's probably the symptomatic of the more uh, significant problem as far as why he's playing, <laughs> what got us to the point where he's playing against that quality of an opponent. Uh, and this is coming from someone who's probably been on the forefront of pro beaton as far as a depth piece at center back relative to, you know, playing like against bottom six teams as mm-hmm. part of a rotation domestically. Uh, but that is not the same as playing in that kind of game against that level of an opponent. And, you know, so that that's, I, I think a lot of the attention obviously goes to the the second one for, for good reason, but I think it's the first one that's as important to consider as far as what it means. Alan, there was a lot of discussion about, whether the play should have went that far. And there's a lot of confusion around why the, the linesmen keep their flags down. But eventually it does lead to this dive and Beton's reaction. But one thing that I do want to point to with you, and um, it, it happened against Rangers as well, and it's something that you pointed out about near Beton in general, is when everything is in front of him, he's fine. But as soon as the thing, as soon as the play gets in behind him, which it can do, that's where he really struggles. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about both cards because I think they're both relevant and, and, and actually they're both relevant to the, a wider conversation on how Postacoglu is going to set Celtic up. Because the first card occurred, and if you notice how, how high Celtic's line was when, when they could, um, uh, a lot of the play in the first half especially, we probably got conditioned to Celtic sort of struggling to play out from the high press. But once they did that, their default will be to play a very high line. So, so Beaton was positioned on the halfway line. Now, given the, his propensity to, to not be positioned correctly um, and to make poor decisions and when to challenge for the ball, um, that caught him out for that yellow card, which was, it was a dreadful piece of defending, actually. But the reason that he was so high, one of the reasons he was so high um, is because of the, that's the way that Postacoglu wants to play. So that suggests that Beaton is not a good match for playing that high line, because he's he's too he's he's, he's his, his lack of positioning means that it's only a split second, and he has to make a decision because the the, the opponent is gone into a, into an open field if he lets him go, and and you know, Bitton's lack of concentration and poor positioning in that in that general centre defence means that that's a real risk, which means he's then going to concede a lot of these fouls, which are inevitably going to bring a card, so that puts him under pressure. The second, the second uh, yellow card stems from a very similar position because again Celtic are very, right high on the halfway line, and for the first time, I think the only time in the game, the officials fail to spot that Dreyer is, is a good two yards offside, and and it, and it's it's absolutely typical that Celtic are on the end of you know that have to they're made to pay for such a poor decision. We see it time and time again in Europe. It's, you know, and, and I feel sorry for Postecoglou that's on the end of such a poor decision. That's not to excuse Bitton. I mean, you know, it's inexcusable what he did. Uh, he knows that if you, you know, strike an opponent or, you know, touch an opponent in the face that you're going to get, get that sort of sanction. But the, the, the problem started was because the, the, the player was actually offside, again, because of this high line. Now, this is a risk. Both of these things are now that we've talked about. This is a risk of what's going to happen uh, under Postacoglu until we've got players that are A, suitable to play that system, and, and, and B, they're practised in it. Now, Celtic caught Mitterland offside five times, and actually it should have been six, in the first half alone. Last season, 
the opposition was caught offside an average of less than two times per game. So that immediately shows you that that, that change in emphasis. Now, there's again, there's lots of risk there. Another risk is when we look at the Scottish domestic game and uh, you know, Scottish referees and linesmen's propensity to show discretion in certain circumstances. We can see this is going to be uh, it's going to be a bit hairy on occasions playing this high line. Um, so yeah, I, it, it, I think I think I think um, not, I wouldn't say Bitten was a victim of that, but he's not well suited to playing in that particular defensive alignment for those reasons. Um, and then he lost his discipline. Can I ask a quick? Quick question: Do do we do we know whether that game? Because I don't. Is there information? Do we know that that game was under VAR or not? It, it was not. Otherwise, okay, otherwise, I... there's a strong. So, in terms of the refereeing, by the way, I thought the refereeing was excellent overall. And and one of the reasons I say that is, if, you know, during the European Championships, the refereeing was commented on a lot. There was a slight change of emphasis in how the games were refereed. VAR was used a lot more, more uh, the system was far better implemented than it is in, in England, for example. Right. Um, but And the refereeing was a mixture of, of co- a lot more common sense in terms of a lot more what we used to call soft fouls or players going down under any contact was just was just ignored. And that mm-hmm. really did, and we saw that last night, a lot of so- soft fouls or contact, even, even on Celtic players, was ignored. And, and, you know, sometimes rightly so. And the, the fact that Dreher was picked up for those dives is another example. So I think generally the refereeing was excellent. But a couple of things that, 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 that weren't in line <laughs> with the, the European Championship type of refereeing was the one is missing that offside. But, and also in, in the, the thing that might have actually got bit on in a very in a very poor state of mind was the fact he got absolutely creamed after about seven minutes, had to go off, get stitches. His face was, was a mess. Um, now, I don't think it was del- it wasn't deliberate. The guy didn't even see him. But but the point was he re- he went into a, an aerial challenge like this. Now, in the European Championships, intentional or not, that was a yellow card. Mm. Always, that was always a yellow card, um, and and that didn't happen in this game. And not that the, I don't think it would have any impact on the game overall. But I'm just saying that was one of the few examples of, of uh, a slightly different approach. But overall, I'm saying the refereeing was very good. That's that's yeah. great context. Al. I'm sorry. And the real quick, so the um. Because I I don't think even under the even under a VAR regime, given the sequencing of events, if the if the official did not call him for a dive, which I actually don't think he did, I think the yellow was from the physical contact. Um, I'm not sure the offside would have been reviewable because it it wasn't quote unquote missed that result. It didn't result in a shot. It didn't result in a penalty. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not even sure that the offside would have been reviewable. So that's why I was saying I didn't know whether or not. Uh, VAR was even being used because I'm not. Sh- I didn't think it would have been reviewed anyway. No, yeah. it was not. It was not, and I think your interpretation is probably spot on. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, uh, the, the the only difference the VAR makes to that situation is if VAR wasn't in action, which we believe that it wasn't, the linesman should have flagged it for offside before the play progressed to the point. Whereas if VAR was in play. The linesman was correct to keep his 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 flag down until the game played on and finished out the, that sequence of play. So there's much more to this game than the one decision. So I guess why we started with the beat on red card was because it had such a big impact. But defensively, Celtic set up with the the back four that you predicted about in about January, Alan. It was Anthony Ralston at right back with Stephen Welsh near Beaton in the centre and Greg Taylor playing as the left back. 
interesting for this. And one thing that, you know, immediately stands out is the role of the the fullbacks that Celtic were playing in Ralston and, and Greg Taylor. They were playing as inverted fullbacks that were coming into the center, trying to get on the ball. Uh, I, I know you were interested in this, but also frustrated by it. So explain why. No, I'm, I'm not frustrated by it yet. I'm frustrated by... Oh, I frustration is probably too strong. Uh, I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to do, right? But it's also a really hard thing to do well, mm. and it's going to take a lot of time for it to be implemented successfully. Uh, and the, what what is frustrating is that currently Celtic don't actually have the players to implement it successfully, as we saw last night. So um, I mean, essentially, for those you know inverted fullback sounds all very kind of um, hipsterish, right? But essentially, what it is, think about it in two scenarios. So where you're defending by bringing the fullbacks in. Um, if, it, it, traditionally, what you do is you play the ball out to the fullbacks, and then the fullbacks are immediately, um, you'll have the wingers trying to sort of um, block off um, passing channels uh, wide or back inside. And obviously, the fullbacks can only go either backwards or, 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 down, or down the line usually. So they're very limited. If you can get the ball to somebody deep who's actually in the middle of the park, you've got 360 degrees to work with in terms of you've just opened up a huge variety of passing angles. And you also then give the um, wingers a real problem because if they, if they come in um, and follow the fullbacks, then what happens is that your, your own wingers are then essentially one-on-one with their wingers. And that's why Postacoglu wants fast wingers because he wants to get a bad, uh, you know, uh, and, and forest and so forth. They want to, he wants to get them one-on-one with the opposition fullbacks, when you're attacking, what it does what it does is very similar. It allows it allows your um, central midfielders to push on further, and that gives the opposing centre backs a real problem as to whether to come come or go. Uh, and if they do, if they do, one of them does come, then the centre forward can run in behind, and it also again potentially isolates the wingers high up the pitch. So it's a really really interesting and useful thing to do. Um, but you you know, almost famous the, 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 in commentary last night. Michael Stewart kept mentioning um, Bayern Munich under Guardiola. That's great, right? Because Guardiola had um, Alaba and Lamb as his fullbacks, both of whom are capable of and have played uh, central midfield uh, international level. So they're yeah. tremendous footballers. We've got Ralston and Taylor, right? So it, it, we actually ended up in, a, in, the, in the ridiculous situation where Welsh and Beton, who are both far better passers of the ball than Ralston and Taylor, are out wide. And Ralston or Taylor in the centre, essentially playing a centre midfield role to try and build the play, and neither of them are, are, are adept. Now it's not just they're adept; they're they don't physically move fast enough. Their body shape, their technical first touch, and their vision isn't sufficient to play that role. So I mean, that's, that's why Guardiola plays uh, played Fabian Delph as a as a left back because Fabian Delph is essentially a, a central midfielder. That's why he plays Zinchenko as a fullback. Zinchenko's a central midfielder, and and and, and the reason is is to is to overload that mid, that midfield and, and push everyone else further forward. Uh, so you need the right players, is what I'm saying, to play that. So it was very interesting that they tried it so much, uh, especially in in defensive transition last night. Um, but it didn't really work because the two guys who are who are coming in are not able able to play the the ball quick enough. And some of it was just about pass selection because you've got to be brave on the ball. And the way Mitterland was set up was not unusual, right? They've got three forwards pressing high, they've got a zonal defence, and then they've got man-to-man in midfield. So, you know, your, your midfielders, your, your McGregors, your Christies, your, you know, et cetera, um, Sorrow even, uh, um, you know, are, are going to turn ball, are going to be marked. If you're in that central position trying to transition, you've got to have the confidence 
to give these players the ball under pressure. You can't wait for them to be free. They're not going to be free. So you pass to the outside foot. Because the way where Celtic got, got so much joy yesterday is when they did break the press, um, especially when Sorrow was on the ball, um, you know, McGregor, Christie, Turnbull were so much better technically than the Midland players. They could yeah. take it under pressure. And then, and then with speed, uh, they were able to break at them and actually look really dangerous. But the two fullbacks, and, you know, they're not used to playing. If they think, oh, he's marked, I'm, I'm going to go backwards. They're just not, they just don't have that vision and that, and that confidence. Yeah. The brave aspect of it is, is, it's always a word that's thrown out, but what I quantify as brave quite a lot of the time is just taking it and turning with the ball and being brave enough to, you know, take that extra touch and get your head up and, and find the pass. I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, a Greg Taylor and Anthony Austin hopefully won't be the fullbacks for the whole season. So, if you get players in that can do that job, I think it can be very effective against teams in, in, in Scotland that wouldn't be used to playing against it. You're listening to the Huddle Breakdown. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to drop us a comment and we'll get to some of those a little later on in the show. James, before we move on to the midfield, because, I mean, defence was a, a really interesting one last night with Stephen Wells, who a lot of people online thought was man of the match himself and Murray did quite well when Beton did eventually leave the field. So what, what was your thoughts? To add on to what Alan said, um, I, I took yesterday as beginning evidence of system over talent. So while there were certainly aspects of it that most definitively didn't work, I think there's reasonable um, consensus that the fullback um, fit isn't all that great for the system, is that the, the, the narrowness and just having bodies central um, – resulted in when that didn't work that it, we didn't have this you know I, I joked a lot last season it was like we had a parking lot in midfield in defensive transitions and that was as much about you know how we were set up and how the, the, the people were ill-suited on top of that um, here and, and and the vulnerability that that created Whereas here, even if we don't have the perfect personnel or ideal personnel for the system, because it's narrow, that's, you know, more robust. Think about it. You know, it's like a more robust structure to build upon. And while the buildup play was a little lacking at times, uh, and Taylor had that one kind of high profile uh, giveaway centrally, um, I think Welsh had one that was, you know, they ended up slide tackling to get to win possession back but you know it was a little hairy at times but we had bodies present and um uh, i actually looked at the kind of the entry map um today i didn't share it in in my good and the bad and the ugly thread but um mitchell and really only had one entry into our box that was central and it was uh, what's it what was the guy that dove devers deaver uh the guy got sent off um Dreyer, Dreyer, yeah. He he had one um, kind of box entry from just outside the 18 as kind of this little left-footed lob that didn't really come into anything. But outside of that, they literally had nothing centrally. Everything else everything else was from way wide, um, kind of early crosses. And um, so, and again, th- th- this comes back to, so, now again, I don't know how much of this derives from just style of play, philosophy, how much of it's fueled by analytics. I know that a lot of the analytics-heavy clubs, like let's say the, the Red Bull franchise, you look at how Jesse Marsh plays, it's all about staying narrow and and having that robust defensive resilience to transitions um, and then using 
that central dominance to then fan out when you do gain possession and start central and go wide rather than staying wide and then trying to collapse in when, when you're, you know, when you lose the ball. Um, so I think generally speaking, I mean, you know, depending on who your data vendor or source was, I mean, it was basically three chances, um, for really low XG. I mean, they had three shots and and it's not like they had a plethora of other buildup attacks where it just didn't quite come off for them. I mean, for the most part, I think Celtic dominated that game even so that, you know, when I what was it 12 or 15 minutes when, when we were down a man after the, the Beton send off before their guy was sent off, they still didn't even really get that much um, in, in, in threat. So to me, that's the optimistic part, which is, um, you know, we have a structure, it looks like a style of play that's going to be resilient defensively. And if we upgrade the talent and the fit relative to the system, then you know, there's a lot to be optimistic. And I think Ange's comments after the game where he spoke to, um, you know, preparedness. I mean, it, this was some of the speculation and what I was worried about going into the game. You know, who, who was he going to select relative to who's been there during uh, preseason and, and guys like Christie who basically had no time in, in his camp to get, you know, kind of up to date with what's going on. I mean, we're talking maybe a week to 10 days and very little actual, you know, uh, friendly time on the pitch. So given all of those issues, I mean, I, I, I take, I'm, I come acro- uh, away from yesterday, incredibly positive um, relative to things that Ange can control in, in the game. Um, what's going on with recruitment and all that other stuff. is a totally different conversation, but um, you know, I, I think it was really positive. Alan, I think you wanted to come in there at one stage, did you? Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to kind of just another part of the inverted fullback tutorial. Apologies. Is that what James has said? Absolutely spot on. So, but the other um, aspect of it is from a defensive defending a transition. If you lose the ball, is that you're, once your fullbacks are narrow, you've essentially got a little box. It's like a bit of like a basketball formation. We've got your six, your two fullbacks in front, in front, in front of the six normally, and then the, the two centre backs behind, and and that's that's going to be in a in a in a central position. And it's very oversimplistic to say that you know teams like Man City or the attack with five, they defend with five. But broadly, broadly from a principle perspective, that's kind of what you're trying to do. Um, so it does mean that when you um, you know when you do lose the ball, you've got that solid central five, crucially that central five, and it does make it. And, and in fact, what was telling is um, in the first half. Uh, despite the high line, um, not a single Celtic defender was packed, as in they were taken out by a forward pass in the whole 45 minutes. That's remarkable. Now, mm. it, apart from Bitton, but that it was off, the guy was offside, so I'm not even going to count that, right? Um, now, 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 now Mitterland were not attempting to build the play in any shape or form. They were not trying to, to work combinations and triangles. They, were, they literally would get the ball and they would put it forward. Um, and that probably also accounts for the, some of the offside stats that I mentioned earlier. So you need to take that into into account. But I would agree with with James in terms of you know considering the personnel and considering the time and considering the fact that Welsh and Bitton have literally been on the pitch well ninety minutes together before today, and it's only forty four minutes since um, that that was pretty pretty good uh, defensive uh, you know, performance really. Yeah, I, I I thought overall it was it was really promising for large chunks of the games. I'm I'm a bit of a you know I I could spend hours watching training videos from drone footage of of high quality 
uh, teams. And I got given out to by somebody in the comments saying I used too many examples from the English Premier League. So I'll use Julian <laughs> Nagelsmann uh, as the example for this when he was at Leipzig. He he sets up the uh, the entire uh, entire pitch with squares and the the whole way up. There's squares down the lines, there's square down the middle. And essentially the idea of it is everybody's done the drills where there's two guys in the middle, there's a square around them and they're passing the ball around them. It's now you've got squares that are up around the pitch and triangles within those squares. That's that's basically what they're trying to create uh, going forward with those inverted fallbacks. But uh, I do want to talk about the midfield because, I mean, there's so much interesting stuff, especially uh, Ismail Asaro's role and, and how well he played last night. But I want to get a, your thoughts on Lil Alaba, or Abada, sorry, um, before he was taken off after near beat on his red card. I, I thought he, he was really impressive and showing some real signs of a, a good winger slash striker. And uh, James, what, what did you make of his first game, first competitive game for Celtic? I thought it was um, reflective of kind of his data profile, actually, uh, which was he, he wasn't terribly active or involved in build-up that much, meaning that he, he, he you know, when he was involved, he sure as hell did something. <laughs> so he had two pretty good crosses um, that were both kind of on target. A little, you know, that's where we get into uh, XG and XA models. I think uh, Y scouts were a little high on on both those chances because yeah. of, um, you know, uh, Christy having to kind of reach for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, his finish was great. Right, t- right place, made a good run to get in for a rebound. I mean, all of that's really positive. Um uh, kind of his end product type of, of output was great. I think that the question for him is going to be more of that one-on-one actually beating a man in space, getting involved in those triangles, the creative aspect. And we didn't really see any of that or much of that. Um, so it's his first game. Scoring goals in big games is huge. I mean, that that's obviously a, a huge part of this as a, as a forward. But, um, you know, I, I think – as with any of the, these new players, I mean, to go um, crazy in one game, let alone just 45 minutes in a game. I mean, he obviously did had a huge role in the game, um, but we're going to have to see that play out uh, a little longer. Encouraging, reflective, and it looks like there's a lot to work with there, um, mm. but there's work to be done, I think. Alan, anything you want to say about uh, the forward line or Abida? In general, yeah, I, I, I largely agree. I mean, I loved, I loved his, his, his the angle of his run and his positioning and his timing for the goal. I, mean, I know it's, you know, he scored a goal, so you'll think it looks great after the after the fact. But actually, that's a really intelligent position to have taken up anyway. Um, and, and and it's not always that wingers do that. And, and I think Christie's got an instinct to be to be running into those channels as well. So I think that was actually a real surprise. I've never done recall seeing Christie play on the left wing before, so that was really refreshing. Um, I, and and also I kind of I kind of I don't believe his creativity statistics his XA was particularly high. So to have him set up to I mean the cross for Christie's header was exceptional. Uh, both 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 were great crosses really. So that that was encouraging to see. But I think that's going to again reflective of um, the way that Postecoglou is going to expect him to play. That 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 build up play. Um, I don't think is going to be as important. I think he's going to be expected to try and get himself wide and isolated against the fullback and then either make diagonal runs inside 
or be or be you know dragging the fullback when when he's on the other side because we, we, again one of the one of the consequences of inverted fullbacks is and these one to ones is that switch is always on so the wingers do have to maintain good width but they should then get that one to one ability uh, to be one to one with their opponent so that's what we'll be looking for him for I thought he was unlucky to be taken off again I, I was reflecting on this today thinking. It would, and I know he's only 19 and, and it's his first game, so it made absolute sense for him to be sacrificed. But I do wonder uh, to have taken off Turnbull and left Abada on and had that just that searing pace through the middle, um, dropping Christie back made absolute sense. I think that could have been very interesting. Yeah, I was disappointed to see him coming off as well because he looked like the most dangerous player the Celtic had on the pitch or the, the one most likely to break that final line. Definitely didn't seem like Edward was going to be the focal point. So I, I wouldn't have minded seeing Turnbull who was limited in what he was doing for a good reason because Michelin did shut him down well. You know, sacrifice a, a player in midfield, especially when you're playing those inverted fullbacks, right? Because that's the point of them is to provide more people in there. Whereas you are losing a man going forward by taking Abbott off. Some of the, some of the comments coming in on YouTube, um, McGov E is saying that one of the positives in this season and uh, from last season is that he cannot wait to see Celtic playing again. Last year, he dreaded every game. Ruri is saying that Abbott looks like a great talent, which I think most of us agree with. And Ghastly Boz songs is saying, fantastic boys, I'm wait so rewinding to the beginning, looking forward to this. There's a lot. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Way back, if you want to skip the, the stuff about the red card, there's about 20 minutes worth of that in the... Um, at the very start. So, but let's talk about the midfield. Cal McGregor was the captain last night for the first time, played a very key role. Turnbull, like I said, I think he was limited a little bit. 
to what he could do. But I'm interested in Ismail Asaro um, because we identified him as a player who could be really good for this system and someone who didn't get enough t- game time at all last season. James, he, he is going to play a key role mainly for me. I don't know if you want to point to something else, but breaking, just taking the ball and breaking the first line with a run, taking three or four touches and using his pace to get past players is something that I, I was really impressed with last night. I think the combination of uh, the, the narrow system and having a functional 22 or 23 year old midfielder in that role is uh, goes a long way. Meaning that I actually shared it in my thread this morning. If I, I compared his total actions map from the game yesterday to Browns against Copenhagen in the three, one loss. And it's stark how central he is and narrow he is in on the pitch. You don't get the outliers that you got with Brown. It's called, we, we mentioned earlier about the transitions and the benefits of having a narrow system. Um, but it's just that raw athleticism. Um, he, he's, uh, he's not a big guy. He, he physically is n- probably not going to be dominant in heads up duels. Um, I, I, I suspect he's, he'll probably be okay in that regard. But the fact that he just has quickness, pace, and he's willing in to, to take a little bit more of a risky profile, you know, he's willing to dip his shoulder and kind of make blind turns and deal with it. And again, with a narrow system, he's got the people behind him that if that goes wrong, it's not disaster um, necessarily. And and his ability to make, I mean, he made some really good bursting runs, uh, his vertical passing right away we saw last season. Uh, you know, is is aggressive. Um, the touch is a little fleeting at times, it appears, but maybe that can improve under a good coach. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing, as we talked about most of last season, is the unburdening of McGregor, meaning playing that single pivot and allowing us to have those two eights or an eight and a 10, where we're not having to kind of come back and support the other six, like we, we most of the season last season, and I, I would argue probably two and a half, three seasons um, that 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 was taking place. Um, Turnbull, I think, is interesting. I've been uh, probably more on the skeptical side uh, with Turnbull at this level, and I think yesterday was reflective of that. Um, they man marked him and McGregor to a large degree, as Alan said, and I'm still skeptical that Turnbull's athletic enough at that level to deal with comparable European level athletic midfielders. Um, meaning that when he's got space, people are defending zonally. Like we'll see, we'll face a lot domestically. Either they're not as good athletically, they're not as elite athletically, or they're going more zonal and there's space for him to operate. He's unbelievably good on the ball and technically, but I think he only had four or five forward passes yesterday. Um, so he was, he was getting into space he was recycling possession. He was turning, distributing the ball. But a big part of his value is going to be creative um, and creating chances for for um, teammates. And I think that's between him struggling a little bit, I think, with the man marking and, um, you know, who we have playing those kind of inverted fullback roles. Uh, I think that was part of why Edward was pretty isolated. And we've seen mm-hmm. that. That's been an issue uh, with him pretty frequently in Europe. Um, 
over the last couple of seasons, you know, even back to 1920. Um, so that's kind of my take on like McGregor was McGregor. I mean, he, he, I mean, it's just wonderful to see him in a functioning system. <laughs> um, he, he's so good. Um, and I think that this looks, you know, really ideal for him. Uh, so my concerns Turnbull in that kind of eight role at this level, again, in, in, domestically and outside of Rangers, I don't, you know, it, it's probably, he's probably fine. It's just, as you get up into this better quality opponent that I have my concerns. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think Turnbull will be fine and he'll improve once Celtic have a better right back because I think the the stark difference for me compared to McGregor and they're they're basically playing the same role. It's not the exact same, but it's basically the same. Is that Greg Taylor and, and Cal McGregor were much more interchangeable. You saw Cal McGregor popping up loads of times on the left wing and getting on the ball that way because Greg Taylor was more efficient in his role as the inverted fullback than than Ralston was. Alan, what was your thoughts of, of Turnbull and Cal McGregor and the, the roles that they were playing? Sure. So I just want to be a little bit contrary on Turnbull because, I'm again, I've only captured the first half myself, but, you know, he created three three key passes in that half. And, you know, Abada's two chances that he created for Christie were far better quality, but, you know, nobody created more more chances than Turnbull three. And also he had two secondary assists. So I think both Abada passes may have come from Turnbull Trimble passes leading to the cross. So I think he did actually, and, and, and the goal, the actual goal, um, I don't know if you recall, but the ball was played into Turnbull um, and he was under pressure and stretching. And he managed to get over to Christie. He managed yeah. to get it over to Christie and keep the momentum of the move going. And that was absolutely crucial because that, that pass completely disorientated the whole defence. So I, I, you know, and that was an example of him playing under, under pressure. So I, I, you know, I, I, I would kind of balance it with with that. I suppose I know it's only one moment, but it doesn't invalidate what James has said. But I do think um, he could, he, you know, he'll he'll grow into that role. But, and I take the point well made that you, that you know, with better support around him, especially from the fullback areas, you know, that 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 you create those virtuous uh, triangles. I guess is really what 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 the the system's trying to do. Um, you know, if one if one of those triangles is, you know, you get the ball to McGregor, and everyone's like, yes, they get the ball to Turnbull, yes, and then it goes to Ralston, and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> you're trying to create, you're trying to create, you know, you, you do, you do, listen, I, I don't, I'm probably the same as everyone else, you know, the certain players get the ball, and the opposition, you think, oh God, they've got the ball, <laughs> oh no, mm. they're in the final third, and you know, Ralston gets the ball in the final third, you're probably thinking, Phew. Yeah, do, do you know? Do you know what's funny? I was I was listening to Ben Foster on a podcast recently, and he said one of the most heartbreaking things is when the balls pass back to him, and he can audibly hear the fans get worried about him having the ball. And he said it's it's the most heartbreaking thing. And I, I would imagine Anthony Rustin would have felt the same if there were more than nine thousand uh, fans in the stadium last night. Look, I I don't want to be too harsh on him. He's twenty two years old. He's played no. one game in what uh, th- over maybe 400 days, like over over a season and a half, he's played one game. So, I mean, he, he didn't do awful for a player who, who no. hasn't played as much as he has. No, no, I mean, there was no real bad mistakes. Like I say, you know, he held his position well. The guy that he was up against, Sisto, is probably um, their most, you know, um, revered player in terms of you know, reputation. And he's very quick. Uh, and, and obviously playing that that high line, requires great coordination and discipline you know, across the defence, and he played his part in that. It's just he can't help what he is. He's just a limited footballer. And I'm sorry that's cruel, but we're here to be analytical, and, and he's just not a player that is off the quality that 
that Celtic need to be playing at this Champions League level. And the guy tries his heart. It's like Greg Taylor. I, lo- I love Greg Taylor because he's always trying to improve. He genuinely, you saw him last season, trying to be, trying to get that yard away from the defender, trying to, to push himself. And, and, and it worked to some extent, but it, but, but it, and it will work at a certain level, but over a certain level, it won't work because you physically don't have the, the tools to be able to play at that level. Yeah. And, and Rolston's very similar in that regard. Um, I think Taylor's, you know, good, more has more utility across the season, um, but yeah, no harm to the kid at all. I just don't. It's just evident, I think, that he's not the standard that's needed. Yeah, that, I mean, what what can you do really, except you know, work as hard as you you possibly yeah. can. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that he will uh, he will try that. We're um, we're thirty seven odd minutes into this podcast. It's the huddle breakdown. If you're listening or you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button below and the like button as well. If you want to see more of us, you can subscribe to the channel. You can subscribe to the huddle breakdown as well on Spotify or iTunes, and you can follow us uh, at huddle breakdown on Twitter. Thirty eight minutes in. And I haven't mentioned Barkas. I think that's on. I think that's on purpose because FC Michelin obviously equalised from a free kick, and Barkas has been getting the the extent of the the criticism for this. And I mean, rightly or wrongly, so I that's what I want you to debate, Alan. I know you were looking on Twitter. There was it was it a bad uh, save from him? Was it a bad attempt from him? Did he try to do the wrong thing? So I'll let you talk us through what what you think went went wrong here for Barkas. Sure. So, yeah, I, I, what I, all, all I did on Twitter really was uh, one of the great benefits of Twitter is having access to people who are experts in, field, in certain fields. And I follow a couple of goalkeeping coaches who are experts in studying goalkeeping uh, technique. And I'll tell you what, it's complicated. And there's an awful lot to it, more than you'd think. Uh, I'm no expert in it, so I thought I'd ask an expert. So I just I didn't give him any context because I didn't want to prejudge it. Just said, here's the goal, tell me what you think. And his view was, you know, yeah, yeah it's an error. It's a, te- it's a technical error. I mean, essentially what it boils down to very simply is that, you know, he's tried to punch the ball and he should have, uh, and that was the wrong decision. He should have, he should have gone up with, with, with big hands rather than, rather, rather than a punch, which immediately shortens your arms, by the way. Um, if, whereas if you go like that, you can get a greater extension. It, um, you know, uh, and the ball was whipped in with incredible pace, and he was unsighted, and it hit just the inside of the post and went in. You put all these factors together. I'm not excusing it. It's a mistake. He's made a mistake. And again, Celtic are in this situation that we've been in time and time again, where you're looking at the XG, you're looking at the shots, you're looking at the chances, and thinking, how the hell have we not won that game? And, and really, you know, <laughs> I, we look back ourselves and think, we've seen games like that flipped on their head, and we've won 1-0 because Fraser Foster has actually made seven saves. And that's what people think. And, and that's the comparison that's made. I completely understand that. So I'm not excusing Barkas. He's made a terrible mistake. But I, I don't believe, I believe that's the first really bad mistake leading to a goal that he's he's made. Now, others will tell you different because I think emotion gets in the way. He's blamed for every goal that the Rangers scored against him last season because people, I think, emotionally are so anxious about that they have to displace this anger onto somebody and bloody hell Barkas he's 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 right for it but actually if you look at the goals that he conceded there's no way they were his fault so it's his first really high profile howler but again he's not then backed that up with any other saves because he didn't have to make any other saves because there weren't any other shots so he's in this position where you know I cannot argue that if you look at the data and you look at the post-shot xg of shots that he's faced and then you look at the number of goals that he's conceded the number of goals he's conceded is, is much is larger than the number of goals he should have let in. 
and he hasn't made any great saves and had any great performances in, in high-profile games. I can't deny any of that, but then neither has he really made any particular mistakes. So I'm, I'm kind of in this position where I'm really thrown by the personal vindictive criticism that comes his way because I just think it's childish and pathetic to, to hurl that much abuse at anyone, frankly. Um, but also, I can't actually justify that he's, a, he's particularly a great goalkeeper. So I'm kind mm. of sat in this place of trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt where I can, while still having, still sort of being a little bit kind of on the fence as to whether I really think he's got a future. Yeah, it's the, it's the endless question about Barkas. And we, we did a full special on Barkas being and how they compare to Fraser Foster. And Fraser Foster was just a freak of nature when it came to, to being a goalkeeper. But James, I will put this to you because I know the, the numbers say that Barkas is not making more mistakes than he, than he should do. But should, I, should a Celtic goalkeeper not be outperforming his XG? Uh, yeah, I, I think th- this is a terrific intellectual discussion because it introduces so much um, of how um, analytics are, are going to change and have been changing um, uh, football and and the the fan experience within that context. So uh, people are going to be biased in a variety of ways. Uh, it's just inherent for for people. And um, one thing I'm seeing over and over again, the people that are just absolutely going, you know, tanto is as Alan has said about Barkas, is they default back to you know Forster, who you know clearly has been an excellent shot stopper when he's played at Celtic outside of, I guess, that first season. Um, and that's that's an anchor. That's a, a cognitive anchor and bias um, that that's what a keeper is. I mean, it's, it's you, you see that. You see people say, well, they, that's their job. They got to stop shots. Well, that's part of their job. And a bigger question that has to be considered, I think, is the what – is the role and the job within Angie's system. How do you value the different components of that job relative to net results, right? So the, how do you value what somebody like Barkas, and again, I, I don't have any great metrics on his build-up play or this is all conceptual. I'm not saying this from a hard analytics perspective. Like I have an answer to this. I'm just posing the question um, and, and the conceptual framework, which is there's going to be value in Celtics keeper playing that high line, playing a quote unquote sweeper keeper, their ability to be athletic and move around the pitch and distribute the ball relative to our attack and, and enabling our, our defenders and midfielders to play the roles that they're supposed to positionally within a system, right? So this comes back to the robustness of the system. There's going to be significant value in a keeper filling that role well athletically that is above and beyond shot stopping. So the idea that you could plug a Frazier Forster into Ange's system and you're going to get a net positive relative to what Barkas is going to deliver, I think is highly questionable analytically because is he going to be 40 yards from goal or approaching the midfield uh, circle and being a ball playing uh, keeper and, and create a system dynamic where the center backs and the inverted fullbacks and the midfielders 
are able to do their jobs mm. and reliably so in that capacity. So I think it's a far more complicated question than, you know, Barkas is a crap shot stopper, therefore, you know, put Fraser Forster in, I, I, I think, or sign Fraser Forster. Unfortunately, I think that's might be the mentality of some very senior people at Celtic from what I've heard. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, I would be shocked if Ange Postolokoglu would look at somebody like Fraser Forster and said, that's the answer to my problem. I'm not saying Barkas is the answer either. What I'm saying is I don't see how it theoretically could even be Forster. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting because, and again, apologies to the the guy who doesn't like me using Premier League references, but I mean, this this is what I'm I'm, I'm dragging from. I remember when Ma- when Pep Guardiola first came to Man City, one of his first things was to do was uh, get Joe Hart out of goals, and he brought he brought in Claudio Bravo, who you know he was a disaster altogether. But the idea was that you know even though Joe Hart had a proven record as a being a top quality goalkeeper, shot stopper, he couldn't play football. He could not play the system that Pep wanted to do. And Claudio Bravo, even though he was a worse goalkeeper, shot-stopping-wise, goalkeeping-wise, basic goalkeeping needs, he was much better on the ball than Joe Hart was. So I, is Barkas good enough on the ball, though, from what you've seen, James? <laughs> Alan, you go ahead. You're going to have a better Alan, sense of that you, than me. Well, yeah. no, just, in fact, that was what was frustrating me uh, last night. I mean, by half time. He'd, he'd completed 18 passes, Barkas, for, you know, um, well, 24 if you could, for, uh, free kicks where he was just rolling it to the centre half, 18 open play passes, and he'd given it away nine times. His, actually, his passing with his feet last, last night in the first half wasn't actually very good. So, so you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, def- unlike James, I'm not defending Barkas by saying he's the answer. I, I absolutely reject the fierce and personal criticism, some of the, some of the fierce and personal criticism about, on, on a matter of principle. But I'm happy to debate the te- debate the technicalities of the goalkeeping within the framework that James described. That's a grown-up conversation, and I don't know. I'm not convinced that he is the answer. But the but the answer the answer the actual answer is that Postacoglu needs to tell the scouts the attributes of the goalkeeper that he wants, and they need to find someone that fits it. And I suspect if if, if I would very much doubt, as James said that the answer is, is Fraser Forster. And I can keep going back to this point. When Fraser Forster was back on Celtic's radar at the beginning of the season before, uh, before last, um, he was third choice at Southampton. Now, you know, there's enormous inefficiencies in the football market anyway. You're telling me across professional football clubs in Europe who generally will hold three goalkeepers at first team level, there isn't somewhere a completely unutilised under underrepresented, under appreciated goalkeeper who would broadly fit the profile that Postecoglou is. I'm pretty sure there will be at a, a mm-hmm. decent price point. You know that's why signing signing Barkas for five million. I didn't agree with that. I'm sure you could have got somebody that would fitted the profile, um, whatever the profile was when Lennon wanted a goalkeeper um, for a lot less than five million. Even if it was even if it was another season season loan, because the thing with goalkeepers is you're not no one's going to recall them. You're going to get them for the season, so you've got a little bit of continuity there. So. They just need to, you know, we just need, we do, if, if Barkas isn't the right answer, we need to you know, get the right answer and be a little bit creative about where we find it because I'm sure there's value out there. Mm. The the fact that Fraser Forster, Forster keeps popping up as, as somebody who is potentially coming in, I mean, I don't know what age he is, but he must be late 30s at this point. 32. No, 
33 i think he'll be 34 33. this coming season yeah. yeah so so i mean i it's just it's it's a little bit lazy for me and especially if it's our scouts that are going back to fraser foster i'm like there's got to be somebody else out there that's as good as fraser well, foster i mean yeah. he wasn't the best goalkeeper in the world i mean there's bound to be someone somewhere that we can get that's as good as shot stoppers fraser foster and better with his feet i mean all it takes is a little bit of scouting surely there's they're, they're capable well, of doing that and then this comes back to the concern for this window um, as the club seems to be entering into, you know, some have called it a rebuild. I think the squad is being rebuilt. I think that a lot of what's going on at the club is being built. <laughs> meaning that a lot of it wasn't there or um, it's in such a condition that it's almost like starting from zero from scratch is, um, you know, there's been enough reporting from different sources that I, I, I I think and it's speculating because obviously I'm not an inside guy and I don't know, but it seems like they're still working off of scouting and recruitment lists and information that existed before Postalacoglu. Oh no, they absolutely are, and right. I can confirm and, that because Postalacoglu yeah. said said as much when he was asked about Luke Shaw or Liam Shaw rather and. Well, about Urgita. He, those, he said that he the, that he got in the scouts had him in a list and that was that's what he's working off at the minute. And those are the obvious ones. I think Starfelt's one that probably is off a list because, again, I I like him. We talked about him on a prior show, and but I don't see how he pairs with Julian in a coherent fashion relative to um, Postlokoglu. So, um, so I, I he's probably off a list. I mean, the only one that we pretty much know is Furuhashi. Um, that that's an Ange pick. Um, outside of that, you know completely uh given the context of all the other activity that's been going on someone who i don't know i mean we don't have a director of football we don't have a head scout we don't have uh, a head of recruitment so someone who's not Ange is saying uh hey let's go back to forster and check as if that's a good idea i mean it might be the same person that thought duffy was a good idea um who knows but or the same people so that there's that's my biggest concern still is that where's the coherent um, kind of uh, facilitation of getting players out of the transfer market that makes sense into Ange's system and doing it in a timely way, which is pretty much done now. That's not going to happen. Um, so now let's worry about fit. And and um, Forster is not a fit. <laughs> uh, I think Alan and I would agree on that. I mean, it's just so far down the road from that. I mean, the idea that he's going to be coached up to a ball playing keeper at this age. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, yeah, not, I, not I, I, I just don't think, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think he's a match at all. And I think it's, it's just pure laziness to keep going back to the, the guy who was good for us in 2012, which was eight years ago. So, I mean, we got to move on at some point. We got to find someone else at some point. That was Vasilius Barkas. Anything you just want to finish up on before we finish up on the review of the the draw against Michelin? No, I mean, I would just say, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I was expecting another art media, I'll be honest. So that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and now, of course, we go into the second leg with a bit of hope. And that's just even worse, right? I just can't do, deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and without Bitton, obviously. So, and we can't, I don't believe we can register any more players. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, we, we haven't. We, the first game. We, we haven't mentioned Murray. And um, mm. I think he... He was very efficient outside of 
you know, some pretty bad passes. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's going to be a risk. I mean, the, the, the guy's 18 with no experience at this level. So given that context, I mean, I, I think the, the last thing I'll, I'll comment on, I wrote about it in my thread this morning. I, I just chuckle when, when, uh, at the disparity in narratives that take place. Uh, Alan mentioned this. I mean, the Barkas one's a clear one. Some people, you know, just despise him. And, you know, uh, I agree with Alan that some of it's so over the top, it's crazy. Ralston gets a lot of the same. The opinion on him is anchored. Um, and to me, the if you just ex- if you just look at yesterday's game and in isolation, strictly kind of the relative input in performance levels in the game, uh, I would argue that Ralston was comparable to Welsh, meaning that you know they they both did some good things. They both had some rough times. Welsh's actually could have been what I would call higher leverage, <laughs> um, meaning that going to ground around the box could have gone horribly wrong another time. It, it went bad one time that led to the goal, and another time that led to a good shot. Um, but the 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 gap in narrative coming out of the game of those two players, I just find. You know, um, a perfect example of uh, of these these issues that we all deal with, which is what's our bias? What are we? You know, what's the narrative that accompanies that bias based off of kind of our pre existing um, thoughts on on players? Um, yeah. So I, I, that that I found uh, and I always find endlessly entertaining um, as far as how extreme they can be. Because I mean, Christie, we haven't mentioned Christie. I mean, Christie's performance yesterday was really really good. I mean, he did a lot of really good things. He's his pressing, you know, his tracking back, his covering for Ralston when he went on as a right uh, uh, mid after we went to four three two or four four one or whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, he just had a really great game. But people are biased against him now. A lot of people. So, you know, he doesn't probably get as glowing of credit coming out of a game like that. And people focus on someone else to elevate, and you know. I just I, I find it all so interesting and amusing. Yeah. I mean, going into the game, I thought Celtic were going to lose and lose badly. I thought it was going to be another situation where it was like Cluj and, you know, it's dreary and depressing. Nothing works. Whereas, you know, tactically, Celtic look really good on the break. They look really good. And one thing I would add as well is the first round of the Champions League qualifiers, Anthony Ralston, 22 years old, Stephen Welsh, what is he, 19, 21? Um, you know, Murray came on, he's, he's 18, 19. You've got Lil Abada, who's, who's 19 as well, or 18. And I mean, like, that's an extraordinary inexperienced squad going up against a good functioning side. It was a pretty good performance. So, I mean, it gave me some hope going into the second round, second leg of the qualifier, but not much hope, which is the worst thing about it because last year killed all of the hope that I have. This was the Huddle Breakdown. It was the review of the 1-1 draw with FC Michelin in the Champions League. Thanks to everyone who dropped a comment in the YouTube channel below. I'll get back to you later on. And if you do want to subscribe to the channel, you get notified every time a video goes live. And if you, you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get us on iTunes or Spotify and you can follow us on Twitter as well at Huddle Breakdown. James, Alan, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll be back again next week. But until then, good luck.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.